You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. So this morning we're wrapping up this whole series um, on the Ten Commandments. We've been like 10, like 11, 12. Somehow we took something that had the word 10 in it and we've been in it like 12 weeks. I don't know how that happens. It's just what we do. But we're wrapping it up and we're wrapping up with this very particular um, commandment. It's not the end. Just keep this in mind. It's not actually the end of God's laws to his people. In some ways, like it's the beginning, right? So we know there's like a lot more laws. There's like 615 laws but we come to the final one of the Ten Commandments, which is kind of like the preamble to the rest of God's law. So we're going to wrap it up, um, but I hope this for you guys. If you're joining us for the first time today, and you're like, they're doing a series on a bunch of laws and rules, man, I, I hope that if you have been with us, you saw something so differently, that this is not God saying, hey, I want to like crush my people under the weight of like regulations and rules and laws. It's not restrictive. Rather, it's meant to be an invitation to God's people to allow his presence and his power in their life to begin to form them and who they are. And it's, a, it's an invitation to life, right? And so I can just so vividly see this in my mind, the trajectory when we starting with the very first word that God gave to his people, which is, have no other gods before me. When we negate that or step over that, um, it, it ends up in this trajectory that we see today, lived out um, in so much of our world. And then you, I can see the invitation to live into these and how that frees God to work amongst his people, that they would be his people because they are now living life in the fullness of who he is. So today we're going to wrap up with this 10th and final commandment, and it just as simple as this. It says you shall not covet. There's a lot more to it, but this command, it's just different. Like it's different. It's in a different category than all the other commandments. And here's what makes this one so different. It's not that it like launches into like a whole new set of list of prohibitions, it's really addressing the heart of the same issues that we've already dealt with, but the 10th commandment talks about them in just a different way, right? And, and this difference completely is meant to recalibrate the way that we think about things like sin and obedience. Last week, we looked at this particular commandment, the ninth, ninth commandment, and it, it, it's, it's phrased this way, right? It has in mind like a legal setting, like a court setting. And it says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Not certainly as we walk through that conversation just means at the very surface, like just don't be a liar, right? But it, but it means so much more than that. It means this. It means that as my people, like what God was really up to was saying, listen, it's an invitation as you live out these 10 words it's an invitation to life, and he's saying um, it's an invitation to, to ultimate, actually, truth and reality, to experience God and who he is. And when you step apart or aside or out of that truth, then things get weird really quick. And so we, ha we have to kind of deal with that, and then we get to this commandment, 
and this commandment about coveting, and it's going to recalibrate everything for us as we look at the rest of these commandments, or, uh, and we're going to kind of look at them through the lens of this particular phrase of like coveting, right? So we're going to see this today, and we're going to like kind of just walk through like four simple steps. Now each four of these steps, as it kind of unfolds, like they're super connected, they're kind of woven together, and we're just going to walk through each one. Uh, but before we do, I'm going to just pause and kind of ask God to help us one more time. And so let me pray, and then we're going to jump into this. Father, we thank you once again for today. And what we need in this moment is not a bunch of clever words crafted from somebody who's up here preaching, but we need your presence. We need your Holy Spirit to fill us, to remind us that your Holy Spirit dwells in us as a people. We need your presence. We need the truth of your gospel to infuse and reanimate our hearts towards life with you and life with each other and why that's good and why that's important and why that helps us to fulfill the mission that you've given us as a people. We thank you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So to understand this um, commandment, let's just do, first of all, like step one. And it's, it's real simple. It's just this. It's that the 10th commandment, it, it focuses on the heart. Okay, so this is so fundamental to the 10th commandment. Just listen to it again, Exodus 20, 17. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Real quick, anybody got a neighbor that owns an ox or a donkey? Of course you do. Jimmy, I love it. Yeah. If you've ever been out to Jimmy's place, that makes perfect sense. Filberts, ox and donkeys, right? There you go. So the key word here, though, is covet, right? And, and we're going to get to that in a second. But, but notice first, like notice the objects in this that you're not supposed to covet. House, wife, servants, ox, donkey, like, or just anything generally that's in your neighbor's house, right? That's the summary of what's intended here. So, like, that's not exhaustive list. There's a lot of other things that could be listed. Like, I'm assuming that your neighbors have other things in their house besides themselves and an ox or a donkey. So, just anything, right? It covers that. So, these are things that are not yours. They don't belong to you. So we can think about these things in two different categories, spouses and houses, okay? So your neighbor's spouse, if I don't need to say it, is not your spouse, right? And your neighbor's house is not your house, right? That includes the entire household, everything material and personal to do with your neighbor. If it's your neighbor's it's not yours. It seems pretty simple, right? But what's so interesting here is that the objects in these sentences are things that we've already really been warned about before. We've already talked about your neighbor's spouse because the seventh commandment says, you shall not commit adultery. And we've already talked about your neighbor's house or the stuff in it because the eighth commandment says, hey, don't take their stuff, don't steal, right? And so these two things that we've already talked about, like they're repeated here in the 10th commandment. But now there's this word that's added, which is covet, right? So the word covet means this. It means to desire or long for something in a way that's just off. It's disordered. It's not right. And so coveting something is a disordered desire. Other words we use for the concept of covet are words like crave or like lust. And think about like how casually 
we use those things, right? Like every time after I go for a big bike ride, I am lusting after a burrito, right? Which sounds weird when you think about it, right? Those words are almost meant to sound like a little illicit on purpose, right? We have a concept in our language for desires that get corrupted. Like we understand that, right? We know that there's healthy desires, but then there's desires that could be like through a lens of like, it's just corrupted, it's disordered desire. So we, we know that, right? We know that just in and of itself, the desire, like having a desire is not bad, it's not sinful, at times it's a gift. There are all kinds of things that we should desire, starting first and foremost with God right? But there's also this kind of distorted desire. There's this unhealthy desire, especially for things that are just simply not yours, like your neighbor's spouse or your neighbor's house, right? I saw this quote in a commentary. There's no reference. I don't even know who said this, so I can't give them uh, inside it, but I thought it was so interesting. It's, it's this, we are the announcement of what we've been thinking about for the past 30 days, right? Does that make sense? And so whatever you've been desiring, whatever's been distorted, like whatever you're living out right now today, it's probably because you've been obsessed with that thing. It doesn't have to be 30 days. It could be a day, whatever. But like, you know, when that thing gets in your brain, when you just like, you just craving, you're craving that burrito. I will manifest a burrito if I have to, when I'm craving it, I will make a burrito happen. Um, I will get my hands on a burrito. So like, more often than not, that's probably all I'm thinking about. And so, like, I am the announcement of a dude that's been thinking about a burrito for 30 days, right? Does that make sense? So, the 10th commandment is talking about things that we've already seen, but now it's just talking about them in a different way. It's not enough that you don't commit adultery. You can't want to commit adultery. You can't want to admit, commit that, right? It's not enough that you don't steal. You can't want to steal, right? So the focus is now shifted. It's turned from our external actions to like what's residing in our heart, to our internal desires. The focus is now not what we do out here in the open that we can get caught for, but now it's like what we think about, what forms inside of our hearts, right? And usually what forms inside of our hearts will make happen one way or another, right? This is why historically interpreters of this passage, when they come to this, they've understood the 10th commandment to be like a summary commandment. It sums up all the other ones and it adds this like deepening understanding of all the previous nine commandments. The 10th commandment has been understood less as a new commandment and more like a clarification of the level of obedience that God requires in these commandments. It's simply not enough to do the action because here's the deal. God's after something far more significant than just our behavior, right? I love the way that the Heidelberg Catechism, which I'm sure all of you read yesterday, um, explains the 10th commandment, right? So a lot of these uh, catechisms, the Westminster they'll get to this passage and they'll actually kind of walk through in a series of questions. So the Heidelberg, it's written like 1563, right? It's old, but it includes these extended explanations of each one of these 10 commandments, right? But when it comes to the 10th commandment, it gives kind of the shortest explanation of them all. So like how it's kind of set up, there'll be a question and you learn that question and then you learn the answer. So like in the Heidelberg, like all the other commandments have multiple questions and answers, but just one when it comes to this, which is this. What is God's will for you in the 10th commandment? And then the response is this. 
that not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any one of God's commandments should ever arise in my heart. How are you doing with that? I know that I don't do well, right? Rather, with all my heart, I should always hate sin and take pleasure in whatever is right. It's, it's lofty, right? But it's God's desire for his people. That's, that's, that's the only thing that the Heidelberg says about the 10th commandment. That's what the 10th commandment is about. Even the 10th commandment, it focuses, right? Not on our behavior, um, but it reveals that God is after our hearts, right? Okay, so, so understanding that is just like the first step, right? Second one is this, real obedience Man, you just, you can't fake it till you make it. It can't be faked, right? It, it's obvious that there's a disordered desire deep in your heart, despite like how well you externally obey this, right? So, so we need to establish a category here, right? There are certain things that we can externally do or not do, like in our behavior that look like obedience, but it's, as the Ten Commandments reveals, it's not real obedience if our desires, if what's in our heart is still against God and, and what he would have us be as a people. So here's an example. Um, about, a, about a month ago, my friend Caitlin, um, Caitlin Gall, I don't know if you guys know her, she walked in here and she had on the most stunning orange coat. It was about knee length, right? Um, it was kind of like a shag carpet coat. It's bright orange. I complimented her on it. And I've been thinking about it ever since. And I've been thinking about it like, could I pull that off? <laughs> like, can I, like, so, and I, like, there's a couple categories. I've, like, A, if I'm trying to dress like Snoop Dogg, I can pull it off. I'm done. Um, if I just want to, if it's the fall and I just want to sit on and sip a pumpkin spice latte, perfect coat for that, right? Um, and it's kind of grown into this thing that I'm kind of like, well, first of all, it's her coat. So, you know, I'm, I'm like, she can't, I'm like, like going to break in and steal it. That would be crazy, right? <laughs> that would be, ins- that would be weird, right? Like, and then just maybe like watch Steve as he sleeps a little bit. I don't know. It would all be weird, right? But so like, you just go like, yeah, like, so like in my heart, right? I should just be happy that she gets to own the coat and not me, right? But then there's that thing that's like, but I kind of want it. Like, I really, I think I could pull it off, right? But I didn't steal it, so am I okay, right? Do you think I could pull it off? Do you remember it? No, okay. Evie said no, right? So, so you see how that works. Like, there's this desire that keeps, like, eating away at you, and it will, over time, unchecked, unconfessed, unrepented, it will result in the stealing of the thing. It doesn't matter what it is. You sit at your neighbor's house, and you're like, I really want that. I want that thing that they have, right? And, and just because like a person doesn't take it, steal it, whatever it is, doesn't mean that what's happening in their heart is still not like a disordered desire that is not only impacting them, but it's going to alter, right? It's going to alter the relationship that you have with that person, right? Because every time you see them, all you see is the object behind them, the thing that you want, right? So you can see how this goes, right? It's this. It's when you step outside of the truth, right? You look at commandment nine and you go like, it's not just about lying about people. It's about me saying, I'm going to step away entirely from the truth of God. I'm going to step out of what's real. And when you step out of what's real, then it becomes really easy to just say, me want, 
right? Me want. Me, I want that thing. Give it to me. And you don't see the person anymore. You don't see the value that God has given them as a precious image bearer of God. You just see the thing that they have, and you say, me want. Now, that plays itself out every day on, like, schoolyard playgrounds, right? On the most micro level, it's that little kid that goes, I want to play with that ball right now, and I will push and shove and bite that kid that has that ball until that ball is mine. Me want. It should be mine, right? It can, it can play itself out in more things. It could be like, I want that car, right? I want that car, and I will do whatever to that image bearer that has that car as long as I can get that car, right? So it can go to like real, it could be like individual things, right? It could be like, it could be like I, I want that person. I want to consume that person. I don't care that, that I already have my person, I don't care that they have a person. I just want that. And so like on a micro kind of like individual level, but then on a big level, like on a macro level, like on a global level, when, when, when countries say me want, what do they do? They take. They don't look at the image bearers that are in the way. They just see them as disposable to that end, right? And so then they, and this is not just about like our current cultural moments, it's about our, the history of us as a people. We destroy and we wreck and we invade and we kill and we maim because we go, I, I just want that land, right? Or it's us going like, I, I want that thing. I want to consume that person. And so we develop a whole trade around the illegal industry of like sex traffic. You just see how it goes and goes and goes. Or it could just be that person. It could be see like, that person's productivity is more important to me and I want their productivity more than I want them to be an image of God bearer. And so I will own that person and countries will own. So you can see how this thing, you step outside of the truth and it happens like this on an individual basis and then just as a people, you can see how the invitation that God is inviting his people to is not that, right? And it's all about what dwells in the heart of you as an individual, and us as a people. Just because you don't perform that external sin, you don't get a pass on that sinful desire. You have to deal with that. You ha- you, you, if you don't, you've broken, according to this, you've broken the 10th commandment. If you're coveting something, if you don't see image bearers, you just see what's behind them as the stuff that you want, right? That's, that's what happens when we understand that the 10th commandment is just a clarification. When we get that, it frees us up, right? It's a clarification of the level of obedience that God requires, that he's not here just to show up to say, I just care about your behavior. He cares about our hearts. Because what's the damage that's done to us as image bearers when we look at other image bearers as only things that are in our way for the things that we want? That actually damages our hearts Two. So the 10th commandment then is this thread that runs from all the other commandments. The 10th commandment then is this deeper call, this demand for this internal obedience, this internal desire that goes all the way back to where? The first one, to say, I will have no other gods before me, right? This unseen level of desire, which where my heart is fixated is where my actions will go, right? Which is exactly what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount because of the problem that he kept on having with the Pharisees, right? In Jesus' day, the scribes and the Pharisees, there's this sect of Judaism 
They really valued the law. They knew the law. They behaved in a way that looked like obedience, right? They tried so earnestly to live out the law to perfection, but it was really just this like shallow observance of the law. They were doing certain things out here in the public that looked good, that people would go like, oh, I see what you're doing. Your performance is good. Your righteousness is good. But Jesus is not aiming at our behavior. He's aiming straight for the heart. And he means it when he says this in Matthew 5.20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. It's because their righteousness was not righteousness at all. It's what he's getting at the heart of, right? He's saying like, you're faking it, right? But you can't just fake it till you make it because God knows what's going on in here. It might have looked like obedience on the outside, but it wasn't real obedience because real obedience, it places this demand, right? It it, it places this deep demand on us to be a people that would inventory what's happening inside, right? that we would look internal and say, what is the true desire of my heart right now? What am I really wanting? How am I really wanting to align my life? And you just, those are the things that you can't fake, right? Like if we just dumped all of us inside out right now and revealed our internal desires, it would probably not match up consistently with all of our behavior, right? Because we know, like, I can perform this way, right? So it looks like this. You might honor your mom and your dad by saying all the right things with your mouth. But in here, like, if you have resentment towards them and bitterness and, like, and just, like, you're breaking the fifth commandment, right? You might not murder someone, but in here, right, in your heart, if you stew with anger towards them, you're breaking the sixth commandment, right? If you have raka against them. You might not commit adultery, but in here, if you're lusting after someone who is not your spouse, you've broken the seventh commandment. You might not steal, but in here, like if you just look at your neighbor's stuff and say, I want the stuff. I don't want a relationship with them. I just want their stuff. You break the eighth commandment, right? If you speak a lie, if you're not honest, if you're bearing false witness against somebody, you've broken the ninth commandment. See, see, God wants your heart, and if your heart's not in it, if you have something between you and God or before you and God, you've broken the first commandment, which means you're going to probably break all the rest of them, right? So, you, so you're just doubly guilty with this. So this is like bad news. You're like, man, I thought it wasn't bad enough that I steal, but now the fact that I want to steal, you're like, how do I escape this, right? Um, it just ends up meaning that you, you become accountable to all the commandments here. The law, it has that kind of duty. You actually cannot obey certain parts of the law and then others, like James said, if we break one commandment, it's like we're guilty of breaking them all, right? And in most cases, if we persist in our covetousness, if we let ourselves and go and like we don't confess it, we don't repent, like kind of at the level of our desire and our heart, it's going to eventually be the direction of our choices and our actions and what we do out here, right? So it's, it's all throughout the Gospels. It's all throughout the Scriptures. What's happening in here is going to determine what's happening eventually. Like you can't hide it forever, right? In fact, desires 
is where every external action begins. Every sin done out here always starts with this disordered desire. And, and, and you're guilty at the level of desire, right? So in James chapter 1, he describes like kind of the pathology of sin like this. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Now notice this, again, rightly ordered desires, not sinful. It's, it's disordered desires that then lead to this pathology that leads to sin, which then ultimately leads to, to death, right? So temptation, not sinful. Acting on that, not, not checking your heart, not having an internal compass, compass to say like, is this something I should rightly desire or is this a disordered desire? That could lead to sin, which leads to death, right? So there is this pathology that takes place. Like things just they, they, they don't just go wrong, right, at the birth of external sin. That's not where it's going wrong. Things went wrong with when desire, disordered desire, was conceived inside of us. So James is saying that internal sinful desire leads to external sinful behavior, which ultimately leads to death, and the whole thing is wrong. Like, you cannot fake real obedience. But and we try, like we all have a little bit of Pharisee in us, right? You, you can't act obedient, but God wants your heart. He cares about what you think and, and how you feel and what's so dangerous. And, and I'm not saying this is someone like who's like, excuse me, I am saying this is someone who's been there. Um, it, it, it's that, and I do it, like we can start to justify our sin on the outside, right? And it becomes really easy when we don't deal with what's on the inside, right? Be, because because we can see it and we can kind of deal with it, but if we never course correct the affections and the intentions and the desires of our heart, we'll just end up in that same place over again. We can trick ourselves into thinking that we're okay when we're not okay. Don't trick yourself. Like, see this. The 10th commandment is this freedom, this invitation to not trick yourself into shallow obedience, right? Because shallow obedience is just going to be frustrating. It's going to put you back in the same place over and over and over again, and you're going to start to sound like Paul. Like, why do I do the things that I don't want? Why do I keep going back to this, right? Um, Calvin kind of got this, right? In his commentary on the 10th commandment, he says that the 10th commandment, it's necessary for us because without it, we would trick ourselves into thinking that God is pleased with only our external observance, if not for the 10th commandment, right? We, we would believe that we can obey the law merely on the outside, just like the Pharisees. And so, so, so Calvin says that the 10th commandment especially eliminates faking obedience in any kind of self-righteousness, right? Third thing is this, the hyper-sinfulness of sin is revealed through the law, through this command. When we understand that sin happens, right, at the internal level, at this unseen level of disordered desire, it should do to us what it did for Paul in Romans 7, right, as he kind of walked this through. In it, Paul is having this, like, broader, larger discussion of the law and sin, and though in verse 7, he kind of directly quotes from the 10th commandment. So at this, like, macro level, Paul says that the presence of the law is what convicted him of his own sin, right? He was just carrying on with his life, unaware of his sin, until he heard the law. And in particular, until he heard the 10th commandment, because he says this, Romans 7, 7, what should we say then? Is the law sin? 
Absolutely not. But I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. So I'm following the law, the thing that God calls me to follow, and I'm realizing I'm following it to the best of my ability, and I'm still coming up short. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet, and recognize that, right? So, so in other words, Paul is saying that the 10th commandment exposed him in all kinds of sinful desires, right? Maybe Paul thought he did a really good job at all the other commandments, one through nine. I'm crushing it all the time because he's a Pharisee, right? He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. So when it came to external law observance, he had that on lock. He nailed it. He could do it all day long. But he also had these internal desires. He didn't know that were a problem with, he didn't know that he had this disordered desire until he saw the 10th commandment. And the 10th commandment, because it focuses on desire, he's like, oh shoot, like, I, like I'm still not there, right? He couldn't escape it. He, he knew that his failure to obey the 10th commandment ruined his obedience to all the other commandments. That's why I think Paul, in two different places, he actually says that covetousness is a form of something far deeper. It's a form of idolatry, right? So he does this in two places. Ephesians 5.5, 5, he says, For know and recognize this, every sexually immoral and impure or greedy, so think covet, covetousness person, who is an idolater, does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So like, just think how deeply that roots itself in us and why is it there? Listen to what he says in Colossians 3, 5. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, covetousness, which is idolatry. Think about that. That's so deeply rooted in us as a people because it was formed in us as a people with Adam's failure and sin and rebellion. They saw, they wanted right? And they said, I don't want God anymore. We want, we covet this thing. This internal desire is that we would actually, in fact, find independence and freedom from God, from creator God. That's what we want more. And that has deeply impacted and infected all of us, right? So, so Paul's recognizing that. He's saying it's an idol. It's, it's you saying, I want this thing more than I want God, right? So both of these places, right? Paul gives this inventory of sins, and in both of these lists, what is the last sin that he mentions? It's covetousness, right? And Paul is saying in both places that our covetousness is something that we actually worship. It's idolatry. I think the reason that Paul kind of says it that way, um, I think that he calls it this idolatry, is because the sin of covetousness is what convicted Paul of his wholesale unfaithfulness to God, right? The commandment, you shall not covet, is what led Paul to see that he had also broken the first and the second and every other commandment, right? So at the root of his internal sinful desire was that he had other gods before Yahweh, namely himself, his self-righteousness. So through the 10th commandment, the hyper-sinfulness of sin is exposed. In Romans 7, 13, that's what Paul says here. He's learned from this whole experience of like engaging with this commandment. His sinful desires existed because he had placed like self-gratification at the center of his existence. His self-righteousness is what defined his identity. And although he had an external like superficial obedience, at the heart he worshiped the creature rather than the creator. And, and what effect does that have on someone? Well, it serves, right? The law serves then as a wake-up call, right? It takes us to step four. So step one, the 10th commandment, it focuses on the heart. Step two, the real obedience. It cannot be faked. 
Step three is the hyper-sinfulness of sin is revealed. And now step four, which is just simply this, we need to be rescued. Here's the deal. When we come to understand the hyper-sinfulness of our sin, like what it does to us, how it impacts God, and, and, and that we can't obey enough on the outside because God wants our hearts. When we understand that, it's going to ruin us in the right way because it means you can never do enough, you can never be enough to save yourself. The Ten Commandment burns your self-salvation project to the ground. The obedience that you thought you had been storing up instantly becomes a wasteland of guilt and shame. Have you been there yet, right? Have you come to the grips with the severity of your sin and the futility of your efforts? Or another way we could say it is, have you come to the place where you know that you need to be rescued? You don't need to be improved. You don't need to be rehabbed. You need rescue. Do you know that you need rescue? And who is that rescuer? Well, it's Jesus. You see, Jesus demands, yes, obedience, because he's worthy of it. He's worthy of it all. But he doesn't look to our obedience as our salvation. He looked to his own, right? He came down, and he was perfectly obedient to the Father's will, freeing us, inviting us into a deeper expression of life, to be a people that would honor the image of God in us, just like our identity is set right through these, right? You can see the spiral of when we don't live this out, when we have other gods before Yahweh, when we don't worship Yahweh in the way that Yahweh calls us to, when we take his name and we bear it and we carry it into spaces and places that God would say, I'd rather not have you represent my name that way, right? When you say like, hey, when we're just a people that don't find our identity and our Sabbath rest, you see the trajectory going. We see other image bearers, not as that, just as objects in the way of the thing that we want. When we worship Yahweh in the way that Yahweh is to be worshiped and we live out these commandments, it's not a restrictive rule. It's an invitation to live life. We see ourselves as the image bearers that we are, and that frees us to see others as the image bearers that they are and, and elevate them and serve them and love them compassionately. Despite differences, despite what they have, nothing then stands in the way of the mission that God's given us to be a people that would proclaim the truth of Jesus and the good news of who he is and invite others to deeply live into this.